the conventional wisdom now is that you need to put a product out there as quickly as possible. We took a little bit of a counterintuitive approach at Sprinto. The inherent nature of our space is a little bit of the sort that it involves an audit. And I think we made a, a deliberate and conscious choice that we would work with a lot more auditors than customers when as we are building our MVP. We went to an auditor and say, hey, we want SOC to audit us. And, and we did this like a dozen more times. And we were slowly building the product behind us. You know, we were actually doing these audits manually while we were building a product that would help us go through these audits. I'm Girish Redekar and I'm the co-founder and CEO at Sprinto. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart. Today, how Gidesh Redekar created a way for your cloud-hosted company to gain compliance status 10 times faster. All this and more on Code Story. If you would have told Giresh Redekar while he was in college that he would eventually be writing software, he would have been shocked. His studies focused on electrical engineering, and post-school, he was a hardcore analyst. After some time, he and his friend decided to go do the whole startup thing. They tried a bunch of ideas and taught themselves to code. Outside of tech, he's a movie buff, but bent towards the obscure movies that most haven't heard of. So obscure that he couldn't remember the name of the last one that he saw. In his prior startup, he went through the painstaking process of becoming SOC 2 certified. This experience stuck with him, so much so that when he and his co-founder ventured out to start something new, they decided to create something to make this easier. This is the creation story of Sprinto. Sprinto is quite simply a software platform that helps other SaaS companies uh, you know, obtain security and privacy compliances 10x faster. That in turn helps our customers accelerate revenue, close high-ticket deals, and pass vendor security assessments with ease. Um, conventionally, you know, obtaining these compliances takes uh, you know tons of CTO time. Uh, and Sprinto just makes it a lot faster by by you know automating a bunch of legwork and busy work that usually happens in these processes. Primarily, uh, you know, these compliances require you to run hundreds of practices and processes uh, called controls. And this is a manual, error-prone, painstaking exercise. And what Sprinter does is we, 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 we connect with your systems uh, that you typically use as a modern uh, technology company. And we automate a bunch of things that you would otherwise have to do manually. This could include systems like your cloud provider, your version control systems, your identity systems, and so on and so forth. So that's roughly what Sprinter does. You know, uh, we, we sort of help you uh, run a security or a compliance program uh, at, at one-tenth the effort. So this is, again, uh, something that came about uh, from personal experience. Uh, before this, my, my, my previous uh, startup was a, another SaaS company, and I think 80% or more of our customers were in the U.S., and that's when we had our first twist with, uh, you know, these compliances like SOC 2 and ISO 27001. You know, as engineers, we uh, we got a front row seat to uh, what these compliances really mean, where they become painful, what the gotchas are. We had an excruciating six-month process, uh, which we all hated from the bottom of our heart. 
you know fast forward to the time that we were thinking of uh, you know doing another company yeah this was one of the experiences that stayed with us and, and we thought that there's got to be a better way of doing it so that's roughly how we got started you know it, it came out of a personal pain point that i had faced as an uh, as an engineer in a saas company and, and we really wanted to solve that Let's jump into the MVP then. So tell me about the first product you built for Sprinto. How long did it take to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? The conventional wisdom now is that you know you you need to put a product out there as quickly as possible, uh, and we look, took a little bit of a counterintuitive approach at Sprinto. Um, the, the inherent nature of our space is a little bit of the sort that it involves. Uh, uh, an audit and these these are auditors who are certified by you know independent third party bodies and so on and so forth so so the auditors are an important uh, part of this entire equation and i think we made a a, a deliberate and conscious choice that we would uh, work with a lot more auditors than customers when as we are building our mvp so the first version was uh, was a little bit like this we went to an auditor and say hey we want sock to audit us and uh, <laughs> the auditor say yeah great okay you know we're paying them money to audit us and and, uh, and and we did this like a dozen more times uh, so 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 the way we actually went about building the product is that we were just constantly getting ourselves audited we were learning the ropes of what an auditor really looks for uh, when you when you go through these compliances and we were slowly building the product behind us you know we were actually doing these audits manually while we were building a product that would help us go through these audits and that's how the first uh, how, how the software Words, uh, you know, took shape over uh, over over time. So, so we spent a, uh, you know, I think we've spent twelve plus months building the first version that that we were actually able to put out in front of somebody else. Okay, with that first version, you kind of kind of alluded to this a little bit. Let's dive in. With any first version of a product, you've got to make certain decisions and trade offs about what you start with. You know, feature cut, technical debt, anything like that. So, tell me about some of those decisions and trade offs you had to make, and how you coped with them. There was one of these things, right? Uh, you know, there is this whole talk about whether to build like a monolith versus using microservices, and, and I think uh, th- I remember this was a pretty big debate in the company at the time about uh, which of these two paths to take, and. Um, the the thing uh, that occurred to us at the time was that hey we don't really know our domain very well we, we don't exactly know what all the requirements of a product here is going to be we are actually learning breaking this down into different microservices just yet may not be a great idea because you, you, we don't really know what the basic components of this thing are going to be so we deliberately made a choice that hey we're going to be a monolith until we, it's very clear to us what the building blocks of a system like this is truly going to be so we dumped this entire thing as we were learning into into like a single monolith i'm kind of glad we made it at the time uh, you know because it allowed us to move fast and, and sort of meet the requirements of our auditors and our customers quite quickly which is the most important thing that you want to do in you know during the mvp stage so then from that point you've got your mvp right how did you progress the product from there and how did you mature it and to put that in a box, I'm asking you know, how you built your roadmap and how you went about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build. You know, as soon as we started working with customers, uh, the, the standard thing that will happen is that your product basically gets pulled in a hundred different directions. There are existing customers who are talking about the, the gaps that they see. 
there are prospective customers who are asking about things hey do you do this and do you do that and and then you have your own vision of you know what the product ought to look like and it's it's kind of hard to you know put them together uh, prioritize sequence them and and pick the one that you're actually going to execute right now one of the things that has served me well towards the later stages of my previous company recruiter box is this very simple uh, sort of way of thinking about product and and what to pick and i think uh, this is by a person called slava atmaket the the way he describes uh, you know going about making these decisions is that the, the simplest way to look at you know deciding what to build is is to put all your ideas that you have uh, feedback ideas your own vision uh, whatever it is into three buckets and and bucket number 1 is uh, what we call game changers these are things that you believe are going to make you stand apart these are things that your customers go oh wow about uh, you know you you sort of uh, are, are doing something that has not been done before and and you you are absolutely sort of uh, putting like a stake in the ground further ahead than what anything else has been done until then so far so so you, you know you, you you put your list of ideas there these are your what you think are potential game changers the second bucket is uh, these things which we call deal breakers and these are things which are just table stakes these are things that are expected of a product like you um based on you know where the market is uh, what's what your competition is doing this is just table stakes you you absolutely need to do this else you don't have a shot uh, you know of even existing in the market so that's your second bucket and then your third bucket is everything else uh, you know uh, uh, anything else that, that that doesn't fit any of these two is a third bucket and the product and the broad philosophy is that hey you need to make sure that you are uh, you know you're spending as an early stage startup uh, a ton of your time on game changers and that's your first priority um, you need to spend the second set of time on deal breakers uh, you know so, so game changers are uh, are more important as compared to deal breakers and, and then if you're left with some bandwidth uh, you know you can go after everything else now i know it's an overly simplistic framework but it it works surprisingly well especially at early stages when you have very little bandwidth and you really need to pick your battles carefully so then let's switch to team gitesh how did you build your team and and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you we looked for uh, specifically two attributes more than anything else when we were building the team at least in the development team one of the important things that we looked at is your ability to break down a problem Uh, you, you know like the, the important thing that we'll have to do is uh, you you get like a fairly fuzzy uh, naughty problem and uh, I, i think the people who do well uh, at, at early stage in the product are those who can actually get uh, break it down into something much smaller and say that okay this gives me about 80% of the benefit rather than solving the entire problem and i think that's a that's a crucial important skill and, and a bunch of what we used to uh, do in our conversations uh, you know when we are trying to hire is to try and figure this out either based on past experience or something else you, you know do they do they sort of uh, have this ability to take a very amorphous thing and and break it down into something that can actually be implemented and executed quickly and that sort of leads me to the second point that we typically look for which is you know like a bias to action this is this is a fairly common thing that has uh, a lot has been said and written about this but in general uh, we we truly believe that a mediocre plan that can be executed today is better than a beautiful plan that can be executed tomorrow so so we we, we tend to look out for people who who would actually uh, get down and and get it done than than people who would 
tend to sort of get lost in in some sort of an analysis paralysis so so that these were the two guiding principles we had overall uh, as we were building out the team and this was a couple of things that we were looking at uh, early on when we were sort of building it out i really like what you said too about a uh, executing a mediocre plan being better than no plan at all like you know 75% done is better than 0% done or 75% quality is better than 0% you know there there are nuances to that but i i think in general i i agree with you so let's flip to scalability then so did you build this to scale efficiently from day 1 or have you been fighting this as you grow honestly uh you know scale means uh different things in different contexts so the kind of scale that we worried about a little bit more uh, was not computational scale uh, which is the natural thing that we tend to think about we were a lot more conscious about whether this scales in terms of uh, you know getting a large number of people to work on it simultaneously which which is a different measure of goodness like having run a software company before uh, i think uh, the, the places where we used to hit bottlenecks was more that it became at some point harder for the entire team to to be able to work simultaneously on the code base uh, you know you get into some sort of these very weird situations so, so for for us uh, scalability in terms of uh, you know like uh, being able to scale the application across let's say millions of users was something that we did not worry about as much as i did about worrying about you know scaling this to let's say tomorrow they're going to be Uh, you know 50 developers working on this that was a more clear and present problem that i was looking to scale uh, solve scalability for um, I, i'm not sure if that uh, you know is in the line that you're asking this question about but but uh, honestly that that's the that's a bigger thing that you know gave me and my co-founder sleepless nights well as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built what are you most proud of I'm extremely proud of what we built at Sprinto uh, specifically as a product. Uh, you, you know, uh, I was hinting at this earlier. Compliance is an extremely complex space and it was a very alien domain for us. Uh, none of us are uh, neither of us co-founders are actually belong to that space directly. Do we are you, you know just face the problem before? And uh, we had to make sure that we are doing a good job of mapping that domain into software. And and that happens fairly early on. If you don't architect it well, you're sort of fighting like this uh you know this immovable object uh as you are uh, you know building out more features and you learn more about the environment etc so i think uh, i'm really proud of the way we architected sprinto um, it's only a couple of years in but uh, i know for a fact that you know uh, we have a very powerful core on top of which uh, you know the entire roadmap can actually built out like in my head i can think 5 years ahead of how this product evolves and it fits with what we have already built I for example did not have the same confidence when I was doing my previous company and and I'm really proud of the fact that hey we could get it to a point where uh, you know uh, we can actually uh, uh, you know build out this really really cool things that we have in our mind uh, uh, without actually breaking what exists but building on top of what exists uh, so so that that's roughly how I look at it uh, I'm like uh, I know it's a boring answer but this, the architecture of sprint OS is something that I'm really really proud of Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I'm sorry, nothing comes to my mind right now. No, uh, this is this is one of those questions that I didn't have an answer for earlier as well. So no mistakes. You guys have just hit hit it on the head every day. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure I've made a ton of mistakes. I'm just trying to recall. Uh, 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 you know, all the mistakes have a lot of context behind them, so I'm not actually recalling something that will make sense. Uh, you know. <laughs> 
uh, in a short conversation i'm going to need some time on that sorry about that so what does the future look like for the sprinto product and for your team i'm really excited about what the future uh, holds for us uh, you know the way we look at this is that this is one of those painful problems uh, that that nobody wants to touch and we're taking a stab at it what this would mean is that a large number of companies uh, you know there are roughly two segments there's a set of companies who don't actually uh, have access to these compliances today simply because of the amount of time and effort they entail and the amount of resources that they need uh, from a company in order to go through this program what sprinto in turn is really doing is that we are making uh, these compliances more accessible and we sort of leveling out the playing ground and that's something that's extremely exciting to us so the the way uh, i look at this is that you know sprinto really really becomes like a de facto software for you to be able to uh, actually run your compliance or your security program and and what that means is that sprinto works with a large number of uh you know other systems that are that are that you might be naturally using so so uh, that's a very high level picture of you know w- what i think the future looks like for the product uh the team's really excited about this as well uh you know most of the people in the team are uh are prior saas founders uh, who have gone through this pain before in one way or the other as well so so you know uh, uh i'm not sure that's the answer you're looking for but but that's roughly what we look at uh, that that's what gets us out of the bed every day Let's switch to you, Girish. Who influences the way that you work? Name it: CEO, CTO, architect, really any person that you look up to, and why? I think uh, there's a little bit of a recency bias here, but uh, yeah, I do admire uh, you know Elon Musk uh, and uh, and the way he goes about uh, some of the things. Uh, he's he's picked really really hard problems um, to, to to go after, uh, and. Uh, yeah there is a, i think there is a lesson in there so so that's something that i really really look uh, look up to uh, admire the way he's uh, you know gone after solving some of the hardest problems of our generation and uh, yeah so, so that influences me if you could go back to the beginning what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach i usually uh, don't like to think in that form I, i'm sure i made like a the ton of mistakes that i would do differently if i were in the same situation again yeah so so i'll give you an example of you know what's really changed in the way i i do some of these things uh, especially since my previous company i i think i was fairly trigger happy with programming uh, you know early on i i still think i am a little bit uh, i still am a little bit but not as much as i used to be so you know like like, like i was saying earlier right when i first uh, learned how to program and, and how to build web applications it, it was kind of like this thing uh, where uh, you know like i wake up i have an idea in my head and, and by night i just really wanted to make sure i i shipped something around it and and put it out there and and I, what i realized uh, you know uh, during the first couple of years that we were uh, we were working on the startup which where we were went nowhere is that we spent a ton of time building things that nobody wanted uh, nobody really wanted they, they looked exciting and interesting to us but uh, they didn't really make sense in the market so uh, you know if there's one thing that i would change about uh, the way i would uh, do something in the past it would be that to to learn a little bit earlier that hey uh, you, you know uh, it's one thing to be able to build something it's another thing to to build something that's that's useful uh, to someone else and i i know that sounds very uh, straightforward and trite but uh, you know it's a harder lesson learned for me 
Well, last question, Girish. You're getting on a plane, and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit? This relates a little bit to what I was saying earlier. I, I'm the first person who gets really excited about uh, building something really cool. I, I still think that as leaders in, this, uh, in the technology space, we have to cross the chasm of taking something that's cool to, to making it something that's actually useful. Uh, you know, and, and uh, I, I don't know if this is advice, but, but I would basically uh, ask that person to, uh, to, to, to think a little bit more critically about what does this mean to take something that's cool to, to making it useful. And that's, uh, that's not always a very straightforward answer. I've been in that place uh, more often than I'd like to. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, like my simple advice there would be to keep looking at how people react to what you've built and, and they'll usually give you clues around, uh, you know, the, the, the answer is somewhere usually in the adjacency or the neighborhood of what you've already built. So, so keep looking at that is, is my simple advice that I would pick. Oh, that's great advice. Well, Gadesh, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Sprinto. Thank you for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.